Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Hello, and we're back with another Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. And I have with me Jovina Graham. Hello. And I'm Jeremy Ambrose. Now, Bishop Julian, since last time when we had your session on um, Christian character, our hotline was going crazy. People were, you know, ringing us up, emailing, everything, because they wanted to hear more about this idea of Christian character. I think we've hit a nerve here. So let's continue. And may I ask you, Bishop, just to begin with, how can I build a strong character? Traditionally, in, uh, in, in our in teaching in the church, when we've looked at this question of Christian character, the normal word that uh, immediately comes up is the word virtue. Now, this was the idea of virtue was not something that came out of Christianity alone. In fact, the origins of the whole idea of the place of virtue in the formation of characters actually comes out of Greek thought. So you go back to Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, and so forth. They were the ones who really first explored this question and really identified what they considered to be key virtues that would constitute the character of a, of a mature person, uh, often called human virtues. Uh, and so Christianity um, didn't if I can invent the concept, but obviously what as Christians what we would do is we would then take the notion of virtue and look at it in terms of uh, revelation that comes to us from the scriptures and the whole spirit uh, of uh, revelation about the nature of God, the nature of human life that comes from the scriptures. And from there we can then develop if you like, what, a, what would constitute Christian virtues. And I, I think the key to developing character is really to understand the notion of virtue, understand what are the key Christian virtues and then begin to develop them in our life. Hmm. Okay, so that sounds like a fairly easy sentence. Let's develop the virtues in our life. How, how do we do that? Is it like going to the gym, Bishop? Well, it's not a bad example because uh, if, if we were um, planning to, to go to the uh, Olympics some stage, at some stage, and we, um, <clears throat> we might have some particular... Let's say we wanted to be a swimmer and we want to swim in the Olympics. Now, we may have a fair bit of natural talent natural skill and ability in swimming, you know? And I love swimming and, and so forth. And I really like to represent Australia. I really like to win the gold medal and so on. However, we know there's not just enough to, to have the skill or ability. Normally, if you're going to be a swimmer at the Olympics, you will put in enormous amount of time and effort and energy to be able to achieve uh, a level of performance whereby you've got a chance of winning a medal at the Olympics. Now, normally a swimmer has to do a whole lot of daily, uh, and I would say fairly boring training, up and down the pool, up and down the pool. They'd also have diet, they'd also very much discipline their lives, you know, they wouldn't be out partying late and all that sort of thing, they wouldn't just be eating and drinking what they like, they would discipline themselves in order to be able to uh, reach a level where they're able to perform at the Olympics. Now, I think it's exactly the same with regard to the Christian life. That, that we, we can't just say, well, I'm going to be a good Christian. 
you know, and, and kind of think that it's just going to happen automatically or something. You know, if we want to be a good Christian, we've got to be prepared to, to work at it, to, to discipline ourselves. Just as we go to the gym, if we want to be healthy, um, you know, we run, run around the block or whatever, we'll do all these things because we have a goal. The goal is I want to be healthy. The goal is I want to win a, something at the Olympics. So we do those things, or we, we go on a, a, on a diet because we want to lose weight. You know, so we'll do all these things for human, for physical reasons. So surely um, we, would, we would understand the need to do the same things for us at, at the spiritual level. So for us as Christians, it really involves then a, a, a willingness to commit ourselves to achieve the goal. So the ultimate goal, of course, is holiness and, and heaven. So it's, there's no greater goal to, to aim for. And that is, so that's really the approach that we need to take. What we call that traditionally in the church is asceticism. Probably not a word that people necessarily are attracted to like <laughs> no, these days, but, but, it's, but it's, that, that's what's required. So that's got to be the starting point. Uh, if, if we want to grow in, in, in virtue, we've got to say, well, I'm prepared to walk this path. I'm prepared to develop and nurture uh, the virtues in my life in order to grow to, to full Christian maturity. Mm. Mm. So, Bishop, there's, I mean, there's so many virtues that I, I guess that, you know, that there, there are out there to, to grow in. But what virtues would you say are important today, especially for us? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the, uh, look at the Gospels um, and, and look carefully at the teaching of, of Christ, I think there's some things that emerge. One that we possibly wouldn't maybe rate as number one, or at least what I would say as, as a foundation, is one that I think is, is, is of vital importance, and that is humility. Mm. Now, Jesus, on a number of occasions, spoke about the need for humility. And the scriptures say, you know, God, God um, doesn't listen, doesn't respond to the proud, but turns to the lowly. You know, it's a very strong theme that runs through the Old Testament as well as the teaching of, of Jesus himself. And of course, he reflected this born in Bethlehem in the, in, humi- in the humble conditions and so forth. He mixed with the poor and the simple and the ordinary. He wasn't just mixing with the great and the famous. You know, so there's all this uh, evidence that, that humility was a, a very important virtue in the, in the mind of, of Jesus himself. I think the reason is, 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 is very simple. A humble person knows the truth about themselves, knows their own weakness, their own shortcomings, their own failures, and would naturally say, Lord, I'm poor. I, I, I don't have much to offer. I, I, I look towards you to be the one to, to raise me up, to help me grow and develop. See, the proud person is going to be one that's full of themselves. You see, and they're going to say, look, I can do it myself. I can manage. I'm capable. You know, all those sort of attitudes. Well, God said, well, I can't help you because you're so confident that you can do it yourself. You're cutting me out. You're not letting me assist you. So the humble person is a person who's going to turn towards God and say, God, I need your help. And, and there's no better story. I think that wonderful story told by in St. Luke's Gospel of the two men going to the temple. You know, the, the, the Pharisee goes, and look at me, Lord, I've done all these wonderful things for you, you know. And then the, 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 the sinners down the back, the publicans down the back corner, beating his breast and saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man whose prayer was heard. And so it's the, the humble person who is a person who's going to, to be able to open their life 
to, to allow God to, to work and move in their lives. So I think humility is like the, the basic foundation to, wow. uh, to, to a life of virtue. Now, there are other virtues that we can build on that. Surprisingly, again, I, I would tend to, to, to say the next virtue that I think is, um, is very important is the virtue of obedience. Again, not a, not a virtue that people would naturally... You're not coming up with the most popular No, no, <laughs> not many people would naturally think, oh, yeah, 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 humility and obedience, that's what I want to do first of all. Let's think about obedience for a moment. What was the sin of Adam and Eve? It was disobedience. What was a great quality in Jesus himself? Obedience. You know, he said, I've not come to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. In the agony of the garden, despite all the struggles he had about, you know, let, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. I don't want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. He would surrender in obedience to what his father asked. And it was his obedience to the Father that actually affected our, our salvation. In a mysterious kind of way, when we are obedient, we're sort of closer, I think, to the work of salvation. Um, it's a mysterious kind of thing. And, and of course, it goes against the grain in modern society because we are so busy doing our thing. Just do it, you know, the, the great theme yeah. of our time. But it's doing my thing. Whereas the Christian would say, no, I really want to do what God wants me to do. And so I'll orient myself around seeking the will, the mind, the direction of God. So I think obedience is a really vital virtue that really helps us lay, again, a grounding, a foundation for sound growth in, in our Christian life. Maybe I could just mention two others very quickly because uh, there's a lot we could talk about. But uh, another one I think that is, um, is important is it's one of the traditional virtues that the, the Greeks promoted. And indeed, people like uh, Plato really saw it as the, the key virtue for, uh, for a mature human being. And that is the virtue of justice. Hmm. The word I would tend to use today is personal integrity. That, that I think the pursuit of truth, the preservation of truth, is a very important thing. The truth flavours every single thing that I do. So I, I really work to have integrity. I don't take shortcuts, you know, to get off, get ends and goals achieved. Today, I think again in the, in the society, there's a tendency to 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 lay aside principle for the sake of pra pragmatic results. The end justifies the means. As long as I get to where I'm meant to go, that's good enough. Whereas we'd we'd say no, no, no. For us, integrity, to, to actually be, uh, if you like, the great, uh, one of the qualities that's described in the, in the Old Testament particularly is he's a just man. Like everything he does is based in sound integrity. Maybe the last um, foundational virtue that we can mention um, is what I describe as the guardian of love. And that is chastity. Again, not a popular virtue. Not something that receives uh, immediate notice in the world around us today. The more I think about chastity, the more I think that what it actually does is guard love. You see, when, particularly in a relationship, two people, um, a man and a woman relating to each other, that where chastity is put at the heart of that relationship, it actually purifies their love for each other. 
it stops their love from being self-seeking and, and, and just and just immediately drawn to, to meet my needs. So I'm not using the person for my own sake. But what I'm learning to do is love that person for their sake. And, and so chastity actually becomes the vehicle by which love is refined, is purified, is strengthened. And, and the quality of the, the relationship is actually enhanced through chastity. So when they do get married, they've got a really solid foundation to their married life. They've learnt the true nature of love. And, and you know, it's, it's very interesting, you know, because we've got this scourge of pornography around at the present moment. It, the research is very interesting. People who get caught up in pornography lose the ability to love because what they do is they objectify the other person. The other person is there for my, for my purposes, my needs. And, and actually it destroys marriages uh, and people, people lose an ability to truly be able to, to love others. So it, it actually corrupts the spirit. And so chastity, I, I think, again, is, is a virtue uh, in its many dimensions that, uh, that really helps form the basis for the way in which we can grow and mature as Christians. There are a number of other virtues I could talk about, but maybe that's for another time. Well, th those four are, are enough for us to get started off. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I was just going to ask, Bishop, um, if, if all Christians who are trying to mature in their faith are going around ticking the boxes of these virtues in a very parochial sense, um, do, we risk the, do we run the risk of all becoming the same, monotonous, boring kind of people? Well, I, I would say that a person who grows in virtue becomes an attractive person. One of the results of a truly Christian character is a person who is full of hope, of joy, somebody who's just naturally a very attractive person. It's not that we uh, somehow are having to mould or shape ourselves in, in some kind of way that makes us dour and, 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 and kind of a bit cold. I think quite the opposite. It enhances because we're becoming truly what we're meant to be. We're becoming truly re true reflections of the image and likeness of God in ourselves. And that's attractive, that's beautiful. That's a, a person, a truly virtuous person, a, a, a person who really has developed these qualities is a person we like to be with. There's, there's somehow, they've got something. And of course, they're other directed, they're, they're interested in us, they're, 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 they're bringing joy, they're bringing hope, they're bringing life into the relationships that they have with other people. And so these sort of people are really the people we want to be with. And so we say, and they're also the sort of people we want to become. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Thank you, Bishop Julian. So this is now my turn to uh, just to to talk about something to ask uh, ask you a question. I'm so, myself, Bishop. Yeah. So, Javina, now don't be too scandalised by what I'm going to say. Do you know which pope had a son who was also a pope? Oh, I want to say one of the Urbans, but I'm not sure if that's correct. We probably immediately think of the Middle Ages when things were a bit dodgy yes. in the, among, among the, the papacy. Well, I want to relieve you of the fact that that's not, uh, that's not the situation. There was a pope called Pope Hormisdas, who was uh, pope from the year 514 to 523, and he was, um, but before he was actually um, made a pope, he had been married 
and he had a son. Um, but after, but after, then he he became pope. So he was pope as uh, he wasn't married at that stage. He'd lost his wife. But of course, uh, his son grew up, and uh, in due course, he himself um, became a pope. And his son was uh, Silverius, and he became pope in the year five thirty six. So that's just an extraordinary little bit of uh, trivia in a way about the papacy. Wow. But uh, the, the Pope who had a son who was also a Pope. Wow, keeping the family business going. <laughs> You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteus. For more episodes, visit radio.org.au.